Christmas is one of those holidays too big to celebrate just one day, so we celebrate it more than that. In fact, I would say this, more than even just the month of December, Christmas really is a day you can celebrate every day of the year. And that sounds like maybe, you know, Hallmark Christmas movie fluff, too much syrup on the pancake statement, but I think there's, there's actual truth to what I just said, so hear me out. You think about the Christmas account, the whole Christmas account, what's happening is really a sunrise story. It's a sunrise account. There's a time of great darkness over the whole land, and not only is the chill of night the source of shivering, but also just what darkness brings, which is that, that sense of despair, that sense of darkness and hopelessness. And then the dawning of a great light. How many of you enjoy watching a sunrise? Raise your hand. How many of you regularly watch a sunrise? Less hands, okay? We enjoy it. Uh, some of us enjoy it if we have to be up or if we're doing something else. Oh, look, the sun's coming up. That's pretty neat. Uh, some of us go and seek out time to watch it. What's true of a sunrise is true of Christmas. If you go intentionally to watch a sunrise, like my daughter regularly does, What happens is this, as you turn your gaze to the east, the very, very first shred of light is so tiny, it's so imperceptible, the moment from total darkness to first light, you almost squint and you blink and you look again, is that really light or is it not? It's so incredibly tiny. And as you watch a sunrise, here's what's absolutely fascinating. Moment by moment, literally if you take your gaze away and count to five and look back, don't you see a totally different scene? I mean, as that sun comes up, it is, it is coming up, and, and in moments, it paints the sky in different colors. Even though it started so incredibly small, it moves very, very quickly. Its origin is not only subtle, it's, it's actually so ordinary, it happens so regularly in such a regular fashion uh, that many of us, and I will include me in that us, regularly miss it and don't stop to marvel of it. That's the Christmas story. I want to invite you to wake up sometime this week. Some of you will have time off of work uh, and, and, and may choose to, to do this. Here's another fascinating thing about a sunrise. You don't have to go anywhere special for it to be pretty amazing. It, it dawns on all of us, no matter where we are, and no matter who we are, it happens to us. If you go watch the sunrise, I want you to sit in the darkness and kind of feel what that feels like. As you sit in the darkness before watching for the sunrise, think of the different flavors of darkness that infect our world. Maybe you could think of it sort of generally, but maybe it could start to get more specifically. Flavors of darkness like addiction and illness, estrangement and abuse. And maybe even those hurts that you can't even really categorize. Things going on in your soul and life and hurts that you just go, I don't even know if I can label that. I don't even know what bucket that goes into. To sit in that... And actually ponder that and think on that. And then to look for, anticipate, and watch and see the great light coming over the darkness. Wonder at those first few moments of light. 
Marvel at the speed of change. If it's a windy day, it's incredible because even the leaves are catching light in different ways. Watch the clouds turn one color one moment and then that color disappears only to give way to something else. Watch light spread over everything that you see. There's something powerful about a sunrise because you actually, long before you feel the warmth of the sun, there is sort of a sense, especially if you've been sitting in the darkness for a bit of time and your eyes adjust and your body adjusts, you almost feel the warmth of hope and the warmth of sunshine long before you really feel the effects of sunshine. And as you do all of this, let it be homework for Christmas. Let it just point back to what we're celebrating at Christmas time. Jesus' arrival and impact is impossible to quantify. The great sunrise, Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, changes everything about history and is hinted at in this little 24-hour drama. Uh, every 24 hours we get it called a sunrise. So exactly what this light this sunrise illuminates is where I want to take a few of our moments this morning at Christmas time and sort of hone in on that. Christmas has a dark side. And of course, I'm referring to the parking lot at Costco this time of year, but I'm talking even broader than that, okay? There are also things like this. People struggle with how do you manage ungrateful kids? I mean, we live in a really materialistic society, and so every parent is wrestling. Kids, know that your, your parents are under tremendous strain right now. How do we show them the true meaning of Christmas, but not be bah humbug in the midst of that? How do we give them gifts and shower them and show them love and different things without turning them into materialistic monsters? This is the stress. and stress. Pray for us parents, kids, would you? This is a difficult time of year. <clears throat> Someone gave this Christmas tip. My son showed me this the other day. He was trying to get it, how to manage unruly kids. So wrap empty boxes and put them under the tree. Every time your little child acts up, throw one of them in the fireplace. <laughs> That'll teach them. To which someone interpreted this advice, revealing some darker sides of Christmas. What if I run out of kids? How about the songs that we sing at Christmas time? We just sang some of these lyrics. A cold winter's night that was so deep. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. We sing it so quickly, so often, we sort of overlook the fact that there's a ransom needed, that there's captivity going on, slavery. We just sang this lyric. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. That is, languishing in mental, spiritual, or physical decline. If you listen carefully, Christmas isn't all just sort of holly jolly eggnog, right? There's, there's this darker component to all of these lyrics that we sing. All the passages we're going to look at, we've already been looking at in the month of December, have this, this darker tone to it. But then out of the darkness comes hope. Comes birth, bursting forth light. So we also sing these lyrics. And to the earth it gave great light. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting life. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And how about this? He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the light of his righteousness and wonders 
of his love. When you consider the great sunrise and when you have light on a scene, all of a sudden you see where the pitfalls are, where the path is. You see, you see where to go. You see what's actually happening. And the sunrise, these passages that we read around Christmas time, reveal a clash of kingdoms. I want to invite the band to come on up because in a moment what you're going to do is watch a video and see some things happen. Tim Keller says this, that God hides himself in history but doesn't hide in his word. Sometimes it's easier to see the big story of history when you see it played out at times a thousand speed. And you sort of see the big pictures and big themes of what's going on. If you think of your own life, right? It's difficult to see sort of patterns in what's really going on in your life a day at a time. But when you see it sort of sped up over time, we see something different. So I want you to watch for two kingdoms, a divine spiritual kingdom and an earthly human kingdom on display on the screen behind me in a second. I want you to listen for the language of what's being sung. This great Christmas hymn. And I want you to see light and dark. I had an art teacher at Prospect High School. He'd just wander around the room. He was the quirkiest guy, perfect for an art teacher. And this stuck with me. Lights and darks, people. Lights and darks. And he would wander around the room. Any artist knows that that, that contrast of light and dark, that's what actually makes something two-dimensional pop into three-dimensional. I want you to watch for how this artist behind me uses light and dark and sort of what that projects and what that means in light of scripture, God uses earth's lowest to do his highest. And that pattern began or really continued with Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, maybe outside of the football fan and John 3.16, might be most of what many people in our country understand of all of Christianity. These few verses that go on to describe the nativity. And what's interesting is this. We're in this series on Luke. And Luke was a doctor. He's setting out to write this orderly account of the things that have been accomplished among us. And of well over a thousand verses in his gospel, he takes seven to describe this miraculous event. A mere paragraph. And this one little short paragraph is what many people know of the story. But if you remove it from context, it loses its impact. You don't really have a sense of what's going on. We're going to take a look at these seven verses this morning. And, and even in how we read the scripture, I want, you, I want you to hear it read in a different way this morning. I might be stealing your thunder. Some of you read this very passage every Christmas morning. Um, Deal with it. We're in church, we're reading it, and so it's great to read it a second time, but this will feel very familiar to you, even if you haven't opened a Bible in a long time. And here's what I want you to catch. I want you to catch um, just how worldwide uh, this story is. So watch behind me. How many kings? And as we listen to this read in multiple language, I ask you this. What kind of king that you can think of is worshipped And not just obeyed, but joyfully, willingly obeyed 2,000 years after he was born. What kind of kingdom is cherished and honored and celebrated and sung about, not just at public rallies, but in the intimacy of the living room, voluntarily in homes, 
and not just in one region, in one language, for one time period, but over all of this time, over all these different regions, most every language of the earth cherishing and singing about and talking about this kingdom. What kind of a kingdom? It's a heavenly one. It's an eternal one, a spiritual one. In isolation, it's not clear what's happening, but even for the astute, if you read just these seven verses, you might begin to pick up on the fact that there's a clash of kingdoms going on. There's Caesar Augustus who's issuing commands for the whole world at the time. There's this governor, Quirinus, of Syria that's mentioned, and then this baby that's being born. So we could read in and fill in the other places because maybe our brains go to where the rest of Scripture takes us. But even in these seven verses, it hints at a much bigger story. I'm using the word empire this morning. Often the Scripture uses the word kingdom. I think empire in some ways gets us out of just sort of what we know of the kingdom of God and think about it in fresh and different ways. I'm a child of the 70s, and so I tend to add an adjective in front of empire. It's evil. The evil empire, right? The empire strikes back and, you know, Skywalker and all his crew. And so that's what sort of formulates in my mind. There's a show out right now that's, that's sort of talking about the entertainment empires that are built. And what's interesting about empires is that so many people are sucked into and drawn into worshiping them, building toward them, and they don't see it, but it really is another word for kingdom. Jesus would come to be known for proclaiming the kingdom of God. He'd go on to die under a sign that read, the king of the Jews. And he's known today by people worldwide as simply Christ, or Jesus Christ. Christ is not a last name, it's a title. But it's so paired with him that it's just, he's often gone just by by the name or title Christ. So I know you're thinking, how on earth is talk of empires Christmassy? I don't feel Christmassy. Hang with me, okay? We're going to get there. Uh, This is driving sort of into the very heart of what this is all about. Think about for a moment components of any kingdom or empire. Any kingdom or empire has titles. Caesar, governor. In our passage today, it mentions David. David was Israel's greatest king. And it was promised that through David's bloodline would come an eternal king whose rule would never end. We sing this around this time of year, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. What's interesting is, we just looked at this a couple of weeks ago, it wasn't John the Baptist who first proclaimed Jesus' identity. Look, behold, the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. It was actually his mom, Elizabeth. And we looked at Elizabeth's song, where she declared him Lord before his birth. The baby's still in the womb and she sees Mary and declares him Lord. If you read all four gospel accounts, John in his gospel, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, actually declares Jesus Lord before anyone's birth. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word was Jesus, the light that came into the world. All kingdoms also have a domain. Augustus's decree went out, some translations say, to the whole world. That's because his empire at that time was, was dominant and really the biggest thing going. Quirinus governed over Syria and Jesus' birth caused the whole world to rejoice. 
John 3.16 says he came and died for the sins of the world. And when he was leaving, at the end of the Gospels, we read this. In fact, it was just read by Chuck, that he sends out his followers into all the world. Again, do you see sort of this clash of kingdoms coming? Two different domains uh, being fought over. How about laws? There's a census that's being issued, a decree throughout the whole empire. What was that for? It may have been for pride, like numbering the people, but even more likely would be the fact that you could then properly tax people, right? And so a decree went out that everyone should go back to their hometown and have this census done. When we look at laws of kingdoms, we certainly see this in Caesar's kingdom. Pride and power and money. And that sounds about right for legal and laws that we know and of empires that we can think of. When Jesus came on the scene, there's a higher law, he says, God's law, and God's law was in disarray. God's law is meant to protect and serve, and it was not doing that. And so Jesus came to restore and to fulfill and to reestablish. In fact, he said it bluntly, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. What? I've come to fulfill them. In his most famous sermon, Jesus basically walks through the law and he's showing the horrible misuse of laws. He brings up personal relationships. And at the time, people were saying, well, we're not murdering anyone, so we're following the law. He uses that to say it's not just about not murdering other people, and he calls out the sin of anger. How about our sexual ethic? People were content to not commit the outward sin of adultery. Jesus calls out the unseen sin of lust. Over and over and over again, he walks through the laws and says, you have heard it said, this is how you're interpreting it. Let me reestablish it for what God meant it to be. You've pigeonholed it into a little rule that you can follow, rule keepers. Let me blow the thing wide open and show how this is meant to protect and to serve and to honor God. What's powerful about the Sermon on the Mount is he warns severely over these things. Severely over anger. Severely over greed and lust and pride and selfishness. In 1 Timothy it says, Now we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully. All kingdoms have laws, friends. Jesus came on and what he was establishing when he came here was to walk amongst us and show us what the laws were meant to be. How about glory? The image on the cover of your bulletin this morning might roughly look like Rome or New York City, right? Rome and New York City have their own kind of glory. There's a certain kind of glory to them. I've never been to either place, but I I can imagine it. I've seen pictures. When I think of those places, I think of some common traits. Even though they are worlds apart and time and decades and centuries apart, think of this. Fame, check. Power, check. Wealth, check. Stuff, check. Pleasure, check. All of a sudden, ancient Rome, which now lies in ruins, and modern-day New York City or any other great metropolis of, of our modern times share a lot of similarities, don't they? When you look close, you see that these two different worlds are actually twins. What emerges from great empires, we know this from history, are things like this. Greed, force, lust, enslavement, pride, deceit. I could go on and on. 
Now again, there's also phenomenal architecture, great advancements in technology, cultural development, much of which is amazing. But there's always a dark underbelly to great empires. Contrast that with Jesus, who in John said this, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? What we celebrate at Christmas is found in John. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as that of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. Whether you're new or old at coming to church. You've picked up on this. Christians talk a lot about glory and praise and power in Jesus' church. You know why? Because it's an empire. It's a kingdom that Jesus came to set up and rule over. And to see the true superpower, that is God's glorious kingdom, and this glory of another kind that Jesus speaks of, requires a whole new set of eyes. And for that matter, requires a whole new set of ears to hear what's going on. And it actually requires a whole new heart that is no longer hardened stone against the things of God, but soft flesh. That's why Jesus put it this way. You must be born again. To have eyes to see what God's doing in this kingdom of God on earth, we must be born again. Jesus regularly said, for those who have eyes to see. And then he would tell a story. As you read the Gospels, you get a sense that the vast majority didn't have eyes to see. The vast majority didn't have ears to hear. Isn't it easy with pride to look back on things and say, well, I would have picked up on the sign of the stars and, and uh, you know, these different reports and whatnot. Truth is, probably most of us would have missed it if God were moving like that in our midst. Here's the reality. God is still alive. Jesus is still moving in our midst. And a huge part of what we do on a Sunday morning as Christians is to train our appetites and imagination to see with spiritual eyes. God, what are you doing? To listen with spiritual ears and and pick up on the movement of God that we're invited to join him in. So I ask this of, of, of you this morning. What has your attention? What is it that you are looking for? All these famous characters that are set up all around my house right now. Wise men who came from the east. What did they search for? They searched out ancient prophecies and they discovered that an astrological sign was going on right in their lifetime. And so they went on a journey and sought to discover the meaning. How about Herod? We move forward in the story. and How about this for a title? Herod the Great. I don't know if that was self-imposed or what. But he was known as Herod the Great historically. What did Herod the Great do? What was he seeking after? He was seeking after establishing his own sovereignty. How did he do that? He issued a law, a decree. What was it? It was to kill all the baby boys in the land. Why? Because rumor had struck that there would be, there would be a, uh, a king born that would, that would have a rule that, would, that would, would never end. That was a threat to him. So he was seeking to secure his sovereignty. What did Jesus seek? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. He was here to seek and to save the lost. Think about those three categories of people for a minute. Now think of yourself. What you are looking for, what your eyes are set on, determines where you will go and what you will do. 
Jesus spoiled it down this way. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things will be added to you. What are the these things? People who read your Bible. What's the these things he's talking about from memory? What is it? That's too tough on us anymore. It's just stuff of life. It's just, what am I going to wear? And what am I going to eat? And where am I going to live? It's, it's just sort of these, these things that people like wrench their brain over and go, what are we going to do here? What are we going to do there? And their priorities get mixed up into very temporal things. And Jesus says it really simply. Have your priority this. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first and most the kingdom of God. Earthly empires don't last. They are built up, they're esteemed by many, but they don't last. And it takes eyes, it takes some intentionality to sort of see through it. One of the things that we do in our family, in fact, just a couple years ago, um, I couldn't find the picture, but my neighbor was on the early train of people who just indiscriminately bought Christmas decorations. Some of you have done this. You, You just kept adding, and you couldn't stop, really. Now there's whole shows like battling for who has the most Christmas lights or something, And here's what's phenomenal. I actually saw, what are the giant things in Star Wars that walk in the snow? The big machines? What are they? Say it loud. At, at. At, at. See, that's amazing. Good job, Caleb. I knew you would, someone would know that. So can't you take anything and make it a Christmas decoration? Yeah. I saw an at, at that must have been taller than me as I was driving around this week sometime, and it just had a Santa hat on it. And I'm like, okay, sure. And like to me, I'm like, this is it. Like, that's an empire, and let's throw wintry stuff on us, put some snow around it. And, and my neighbor had just this indiscriminate, like anything that was sold at Target over the last 10 years, they had bought and put up in their yard. And then right in the very middle of it, if you kind of zoomed your, your lens in and you looked, right in the very middle of it was a very tiny, small manger scene. There's Joseph, and there's Mary, and there's a little stable, and there's a, there's a manger, and there's a little baby. And that's, that's about all that it was. And eyes on the empire is this, like, that's what it is. There's all this glitz and glamour. Other things might be blinking and grab our attention. But once you see it, my heart left when I saw that. There was something in me that stirred. And I'm not against all the other stuff. It's just that when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's so cool. I'm watching the Sharks game yesterday. Same thing happened. In between one of the breaks, I'm, I'm a huge fan of DVRs because you can fast forward to commercials. I fast forward to the game and I rewound to watch the very tail end because it came back on the, on the game. It was scanning through Christmas on the park and it lingered for a full five seconds on evidently the manger scene, the sort of full-blown big manger scene in downtown San Jose on my TV screen as I'm watching the Sharks. And again, I just, something just left. I was like, that's it. Like right in the midst of all this stuff, we can sort of cut through all that and see it. And once you have eyes to see it, you can't unsee it. And there's something like that to just being a Christian in the modern age. I mean, really, in any age. Because the vast majority of people are looking toward, lusting after, working hard for the earthly empire. And it doesn't last. I want you to think just for a second. And I've picked the humblest, lowliest matches I could find. Remember these? Now, we'll see if we can do this. I don't even know if I can do this anymore. I had a family member who was a smoker in the 70s, so I got some practice with these matches. Let's see if I can do this. Oh, look at that. Then you've got to keep it going. I know. 
Okay. Humble match, humble beginnings. There's a lot of powerful thought to just a single candle and a single flame. And when you think about that, some people do candle lighting services, right? Where from a single flame, just this can spread for everywhere. It can be a huge force for good. And when I think about a candle and the light coming, there's a, there's a sense that Christmas is this. It's this tiny, tiny little humble beginning that has sort of this magical living component. And what happened at Christmas time, the light that began at Christmas time, has now spread throughout the entire world. Every soul is born with a candle, so to speak. And my question is, some of you have had your candle lit by Jesus Christ, by the truth of the gospel. My question for us at Christmas time would be, just for some self-reflection, we're starting a new year in a couple of weeks. What have I done with my candle? What am I doing with it? There's this powerful thing. The, 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 the gospel really is this. You don't muster fire. You don't buy or work for fire. And you certainly can't fake fire, right? We have some fake candles around. You can see the difference. What do you do with your candle? You just receive. It gets lit for you. And the Christian walk is something like this. We contend to our flame. We can be responsible to steward our flame and pass it on and use it as a force for good. But we didn't create the flame and we don't sustain the flame. We can be wondrous and worshipful the fact that it remains lit. Some of you have come in here and you've never been told or given the opportunity to say each soul has a candle and must be lit on fire from God. There's no clan candle or church candle. It doesn't mean that if the church has their candle lit, I kind of come to church and I tithe and I'm a member here, so I'm in. My family does all this stuff, so I'm sort of in the clan candle, uh, you know, a candle club. Each person is given this candle. And so the simple question really is, is your candle lit with the truth of Christ or is it not? Some have never been given the opportunity, have never had the understanding that God is inviting them into the gospel, inviting them into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. How do you have your candle lit? It's as simple as this. It's as simple as saying yes to God. God's will is that you would lay down lordship of your life and all other allegiances in favor of him, worshiping him as king alone. Seek first his kingdom. All these other things will be added to you. All these side worries that you have going on, they don't disappear, but setting your eyes fixed on the unseen things of God, begins to awaken and nurture an inner life uh, with, with the Lord um, that, that many, many, many in this room have never regretted that decision. I want to invite the band to come up right now, and they're going to sing this song that drives home this idea of the night before Christmas. Some of you might be here and you say, man, my, my, my candle is just barely hanging on. My faith is flickering. We're going to get to this in Luke, but Jesus quotes from Isaiah and he says this. A flickering wick he will not snuff out. 
Jesus didn't come to give you an F in faith. He came to give you an A plus in faith through him. That's the beauty of the gospel, right? We lay down all of our effort, all of our striving, all of our minuscule failed efforts at things. And we just say, Jesus, we, we receive by faith your resume. We receive by faith your righteousness. We receive by faith that we're covered in you. Do you close your eyes with me for just a moment? Even as we close our eyes, we can't shut out the light in here completely. But if we close our eyes and sit for a moment in just sort of the darkness of not seeing anything, it can take us back to what it was like prior to knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, prior to being born again. Those of us who've experienced this know we did not awaken ourselves to the wonderful things of God any more than a dead person raises himself to life. And so God, we just give you glory and praise as we sit in the quiet of this moment to say thank you. Thank you for the gift of new eyes. God, some of us had some new sense in our nostrils and we, we sort of smelled the scent of grace in a person, in a church, through an experience. And God, you awakened our imagination to say, maybe there's forgiveness for me. Maybe there's a second chance for me. Maybe all of this stuff is real. God, there's those of us in this room who have laid down and remember what it was like to always be on the hustle. Be on the hustle for approval. Be on the hustle for achievement. Be on the hustle for more stuff. Be on the hustle to make our name great through fame. God, we can celebrate that we get to lay that down. Today's a restful day. It's a day of worship, God, where we just, we get to come and do what we do every week. We sit with family. We have our eyes on you. You're the guest of honor here. And you hold our attention. God, help us to not only find ourselves in you, but to hide ourselves in you. God, thank you for using the simple lit candle of a life changed by grace to steer and usher other people into this gift that you have for us, God. It's not just eternal life some someday when we die. It's life abundant today. God, meet us here in our hurts. Meet us here in our joys. Give us eyes to turn outwards to see and share with those around us. Amen.